before we read the scripture this morning, I, I want to call your attention to the instruction from the shorter catechism printed in the bulletin. We won't read that responsively, but I do want to point it out to you, encourage you to uh, read through the scripture passages that are cited there this afternoon as you meditate on the Word of God. Uh, Pastor Jonathan and I often quote this uh, from the Shorter Catechism at the graveside. It is a, it's a great comfort. It is a summary of what the Bible teaches, and you see the Scripture notations printed beneath it. This morning, we will be reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. It is a lengthy reading, but I want to read uh, the narrative in its entirety for us to get the complete uh, flow through it. Uh, you may find it helpful to read along silently if, uh, if you'd like to open your Bible or a pew Bible. I believe the page number is 897 in the Black Pew Bible. You might find that helpful. Let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and hearing of His Word. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for Your love for us. Such great love that You sent Your only begotten Son into the world, as one of us, to live for us, to die for us, and to rise for us, so that in union with Him through faith, we might not perish but have everlasting life. We ask in His name and for Your glory, the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon us afresh. We pray that You would open our minds and open our hearts, give us spiritual illumination and wisdom and insight. Help us, comfort us, strengthen us with the promise of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the word of God, it is written. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother, Lazarus, was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 
And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she, Mary, rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. To him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, 
to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Dear church family, the Bible speaks clearly about human frailty, the brevity of life, the reality of death, and all our sorrows and grief in this fallen world. More than a few of you are carrying some burden of grief today. Every individual's personal grief is his or her own personal grief. It cannot be measured against or compared to any other person's experience of grief. Some deaths may seem easier to accept and deal with than others. For example, when our loved one has lived a long and full and blessed life, it is perhaps a little easier to let him or her go, and death is perhaps a little easier to accept. But of course, the reality is that even if our loved one lives a happy, full life until age 100, the day death comes, we are struck by the brevity of life and the reality of loss and the pain of grief, real and deep. Or there are those cases in which a loved one has suffered the painful ravages of disease with no hope of cure or comfort. In those cases, death may perhaps be a little easier to accept as a mercy. But the grief is still real and deep. There's also another kind of grief, a very real and deep grief that sometimes occurs before the death of a loved one. I remember when my dear mentor, Reverend Lowell Sykes, answered a question at a pastor's conference about how to help people who were grieving the loss of a spouse. And it was one of those question and answer panel discussion uh, events, including some other pastors, and I was sitting right there next to Lowell. And when the question was asked, there was this, this long pause of silence, and then, and then Lowell picked up the microphone, and he, he began by saying, I've been a widower for almost 15 years even though my wife is still living. So I know something about what it's like to lose a spouse. She'd been stricken with early onset Alzheimer's. And when, when Lowell had previously faced that realization, his grief was as deep and dark as any death could ever bring. We have members of this congregation who have lived through 
and who are living with that grief. I want to acknowledge and affirm that grief this morning. Others bear the grief of their spouse being afflicted by another kind of incurable and disabling disease so that the golden years can't be lived out as once planned or dreamed. That grief is real. We have members of this congregation, and I'm sure you have friends elsewhere who have buried their own children in childhood or adulthood, and in some cases due to unexpected, tragic deaths, which are very, very hard to accept. The point here is that in the mystery of our good God's providence in this fallen world, suffering and grief come into our lives in various ways, in various circumstances, and everyone's individual personal grief should be recognized and respected and responded to with care and compassion. And we do not know what a day brings forth. Those of us who have not suffered such a loss, praise God, may yet, in the mystery of our good God's providence, be called to endure such a loss and a grief. So, how would we deal with such a dark and frowning providence. In this congregation and in the broader community, indeed the nation, within the last two weeks, we have been grieved by the death that is very hard to accept, the death of our brother Luke Letlow. I've had conversations with a number of people since Luke died, and I know that this is very hard, yea, impossible to comprehend. And that's true for me too. I know that it raises all kinds of questions, difficult questions, questions which really challenge our faith, my faith. And let me go ahead and tell you, you're not going to get any specific answers to those specific questions from me today because I don't know them and neither does anyone in this world. This is one of those hard-to-accept realities in which we are slammed head-on into the impenetrable wall of human limitation. We don't know. We don't have answers. We don't have explanations. We don't have silver linings around the circumstances of this dark cloud. But what do we have? What do we have? We have an infinite, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good God who is absolutely sovereign over every molecule in the universe and every detail of our lives who is fully worthy of our trust. 
we have an infinite, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good God who is absolutely sovereign over every atom, every germ, every molecule in the universe, and over every detail of our lives who is fully worthy of our trust or we have nothing at all. That's the dilemma that this kind of dark providence forces upon us. It throws us face down in the dust and not only crushes us with grief, but also confounds us with an irrevocable reality which makes no sense to us and also raises questions in the depths of our hearts which take us to the very limits of our faith. Is there a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, and all-sovereign, who is worthy of our full trust? Or is there not? And if He's not all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, all-sovereign, and worthy of our full trust. If He's not, then He's not God. And then the question, as I have wrestled with it, is this. Well, then, is it okay? Is it okay with me For God to be God? Is it? Is it okay with me for an infinite and eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, all-sovereign God who is worthy of my full trust to ordain something hard and dark and sorrowful and grievous that I have no answers for and no understanding of? Is it okay with me and with you for God's ways to be infinitely beyond our finding out? Is it enough to say how unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways? And will we affirm from the depths of our broken hearts and crushed souls in the words of Job, though He slay me, Yet will I trust in Him. Now I've just disclosed to you how I've been processing this over the last 12 days. And I hope that it's helpful to you. The God we worship is infinite, eternal, over and above and beyond us, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, and all-sovereign. How unsearchable are His judgments, how inscrutable His ways, and though He slay me, yet will I trust in Him. 
But that's not all. Let's go to John 11 and see what this passage shows us today. In fact, I want you to see yourself in this passage. Mary and Martha and Lazarus were three adult siblings who lived in the village of Bethany. They were personal friends of Jesus. Jesus had personal friends who were not even in the company of the 12 disciples. And the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, that speaks volumes. Jesus had a dear, close personal friend, Lazarus, whom he loved with a manly, godly love. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. (laughs) I want you to see yourself in this passage because if you and I had been standing there, and heard Jesus say that, we wouldn't have had a clue what he was talking about. All of a sudden, it's not about Lazarus and his illness. It's it's about Jesus and the the glory of God. What what is that about? But John reiterates it in verse 5. Watch this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. You see, Jesus loves with a a close and a personal love, but he's, he's above us and beyond us, and his ways are not our ways. So let's read verses 5 and 6 together. Listen. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That makes no sense to us. And then after that passage of time, during which Jesus did not respond to the sister's urgent message, Jesus told his disciples that Lazarus had died. And he said to them, For your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Now, I'm not being irreverent, and I'm, I'm not being sarcastic. I just want you to put yourself in this passage and watch Jesus do nothing in response to the sister's urgent message about his beloved friend. And then hear Jesus say, For your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Now, now, now it's about them and their faith in Jesus, but what about Lazarus? Didn't Jesus care about Lazarus? What about Mary and Martha? By the time Jesus got to Bethany, Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Couldn't he have gotten there a little sooner? And when Martha heard that Jesus was approaching, she ran out to meet him and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. Well, there it is. And that is an affirmation of faith in Jesus. An affirmation of faith of what Jesus could have done if he had been there. If maybe he hadn't taken so long. 
And later Mary said exactly the same thing when she greeted Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it is an affirmation of faith in Jesus, without doubt. It is an affirmation of faith in Jesus. But isn't there perhaps some confusion or consternation mixed in there with it? Maybe maybe some lack of understanding about, you know, what's going on and, and maybe maybe some disappointment and, and, and maybe maybe even some anger. I mean, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know the tone of voice in which these words were spoken. I don't want to read too much into it. But in any case, it is an affirmation of faith in Jesus about what he could have done. If. But, and the thing is, Jesus did not need to be in Bethany to heal Lazarus. We know from earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, three other instances in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, that Jesus healed people from a distance. Could he have healed Lazarus from a distance? Yes. Did he? No. Jesus did not do what he could have done. See yourself in this story because, brothers and sisters, you are in this story. And there's something going on that is beyond us, just like it was beyond Martha and Mary. Jesus and Martha got into a theological conversation as she was processing her grief. That's what we do. And she could grasp as much as she could grasp. I know that he, Lazarus, will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. She knew that doctrine. Many Jews in Jesus' day believed that there would be a resurrection on the last day. She knew that in her head. But Jesus wanted her and he wants you and me to believe not merely in an abstract doctrine, but to believe in him personally as the one through whom that resurrection will come. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever lives and believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asked her, do you believe this? And Jesus asks us that question today, but... Brothers and sisters, he asks it with a tender compassion and a heart full of love. 
He is not only over and above us. He is God with us, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He is not insensitive to our pain and anguish in this fallen world. He himself has felt every bit of it. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. More literally, he was indignant. He was moved with anger. I think moved with anger at the ravages of sin. Moved with anger at death itself, the enemy of humanity which he would face on the cross. But he was moved also with empathy for Mary and Martha and by the pain of his own grieving heart. The Scripture says, John eleven thirty five. memorize it, Jesus wept. Again, we are faced with mystery. Jesus knew what he could have done, and Jesus knew what he was about to do. Nevertheless, he, he wept. He is not aloof. He doesn't discount and disregard our grief. He has entered into the dark depths of our sorrows and our grief and has absorbed it all into his own soul. He has counted every star in the sky, every grain of sand on the shore, and every tear that you ever wept or ever will. And some of the people standing there saw his tears and said, See how he, how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? <laughs> well, there you go again. Right. That's a good question. Isn't that exactly the question which you may have heard your own heart? Asking, Could, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? And of course the answer is yes. You see, you and I are in this story. That, and that's the gift of, of this passage by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Everything that you and I have thought or felt over the last 12 days or what you thought or felt at another time when you were grieving the death of your own loved one, it's all in this passage. It's, it's all right here. And if you can see yourself in this passage with all your grief and with all your unanswered questions, then you can see for yourself what happens next? Jesus said, take away the stone. Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? The glory of God, what is this about? And then Jesus prayed, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Now just take note, please take note from Jesus' prayer. 
that the miracle which Jesus was about to perform was not for Lazarus's sake to restore him temporarily to earthly life. No. And it was not even for the sake of restoring Lazarus to Mary and Martha to comfort them and to relieve their grief and to make everything happy again. No. It wasn't for Lazarus' sake. And it wasn't for the sake of Mary and Martha. No. The miracle was for the sake of the people standing around. That's you and me. So that they, you and I, might see the glory of God in Jesus Christ and believe that God the Father sent His Son into the world with the power and the authority to raise the dead, to undo death forever. So that we might believe in Him and receive everlasting life through Him to the glory of God the Father. Then Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And he did. And Jesus, rather matter-of-factly, said, unbind him and let him go. Now I want us to get this, repeating myself. Jesus performed this miracle not for Lazarus' sake, not for the sake of his temporary resuscitation to earthly life, not for the sake of Mary and Martha in their grief, but for our sake today. Because this miracle gives us today a glimpse of the glory to be revealed the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection to life everlasting, the eternal victory over death, the renewal of God's beautiful creation, the reunion of all Christ's redeemed believers, and the turning of all our sorrows into unspeakable joy and all our crying into laughter. It shows us today that there will be a day of resolution of all our questions and a restoration of all our happiness. It shows us that the infinite, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, all-sovereign God has come into the world to destroy death forever. But one more note. The very next passage in John 11, beginning at verse 45, tells us that this miracle of raising Lazarus was the last straw for those who opposed Jesus. This miracle of raising Lazarus actually precipitated and put into motion their plot to kill Jesus. What did it cost Jesus? to resuscitate, raise from the dead, Lazarus to temporary earthly life, it, it, it cost Jesus his life. What did it cost Jesus to raise you from the dead into life everlasting? It cost him his life. 
He died your death on the cross for you so that you in union with Him through faith might rise again by His resurrection power into life everlasting where there is fullness of joy. So He, Jesus Christ, is the only answer to all of our unanswered questions. Brothers and sisters, for all who trust in Christ, there is a day coming when there will be resolution to all our questions. There will be restoration of loves lost. There will be reunion with all of Christ's people because there will be a resurrection from the dead and life everlasting through Jesus Christ our Lord. And He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? To God be the glory. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the victory over death which he has won for us. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would increase our faith and strengthen us and comfort us so that we might be set free from the fear of death and so that we might live with the hope of glory ever burning in our hearts as we make our pilgrimage toward your heavenly kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of our Savior, Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, affirming responsively the Heidelberg Catechism number one. Dear Christian believer, what is your only comfort in life and in death? My only comfort is that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. At the cost of His own precious blood, He has fully paid for all my sins and has set me free from the dominion of the devil. He also watches over me so well that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Indeed, all things must work together to fit His purpose for my salvation. Therefore, because I belong to Him, Christ, by His Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly ready and willing from now on to live for Him. Amen.